Well, good morning. And I want to uh, give my appreciation, too, for those of you that are participating and beyond. Um, we're always excited to look forward. And although God has done some amazing things in the past, I mean, this church originally was planted with four people, and now there are five Ridge churches around the state. Uh, but I'm looking ahead to the future for greater things, bigger things that God has for us, and this involves really all of us coming together to make that possible. A few days before uh, Christmas, a couple guys that happened to be next-door neighbors decided to go sailing while their wives were doing Christmas shopping. And so they went out on the boat, and while they were out there, there was a huge storm that came up, and they realized they were kind of in trouble. There were the big waves, and they were just fighting the best they could to get back toward the shore. Unfortunately, in the process of coming back toward the shore, they got stuck in a sandbar. And they realized that the only way to get out would be to jump out of the boat. And so they jumped out of the boat, and they were pushing, and they were pulling, and it looked like they were just seeing a little bit of progress. At which point, one of the guys who was almost knee-deep in mud, who was battered against the boat by the wind, whose hair was flying around wildly, he looked at his friend and he said, at least it beats shopping. I can kind of relate to that. A couple of weeks ago, we began a new series related to the holidays. And the holidays can be a time of, of joy and celebration, a time to be with family, a time to remember. Remember that our God has given us all things at Thanksgiving or celebrating his son. But the holiday time can also be a very, very difficult time for us for different reasons. And we've been trying to address some of those reasons. The first week of the series, Josh talked about the idea that we need to be ones who keep calm and say no. That, that we're invited to so many things and oftentimes we lose the joy of the holidays because we're just too committed to so many different things. What if we could instead be more like Mary in the New Testament story in Luke 10 about Mary and Martha. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha was worried and bothered about many things, but we could learn to say no. And then last week, I talked about how Jesus used the holidays, or not the holidays, but toward the end of his life, he had this mindset with his closest friends to just serve them, even though if there were any occasion in which he could have served himself, it would have been that last day before he knew he was going to be arrested. We know he was carrying such a load inside of his heart. But... He had a mindset to serve. He took off his outer robe, he put on a, a towel, and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. So our takeaway was keep calm and serve. And the reason that's important is because during this time of year, you're going to be with a lot of people. You're going to have occasions to be with family members or co-workers, and some of these people you can't stand. There are people with whom you don't get along, perhaps. And you're going to be maybe in some difficult situations. Some of you are going to be facing what I'd call family drama. I'm thankful that that's not the way it is in my world, just to set my own family at ease that's here. But it can be tough sometimes. And it's also hard, I think, during this time of year for the people that don't have somebody. Some are so lonely during this time of year. Or maybe there'll be one less uh, seat at the table. But what if we, during this time of year, could think in terms of serving other people, even in that difficult social, social situation, what if we began thinking in terms of how can I serve other people? How can I be someone who gives and, and not, not being the one that's fighting, but really the one who's yielding and really having the mind of Christ 
Or what if we could look around us at those who might be in need and be willing to help them out as well? Today, I want to talk about being calm and reaching out. Keep calm and reach out. Now, reach out or outreach is it's kind of a Christian terminology. Another way to put it is it's, it's share your faith, communicate what Jesus has done in your life to other people or even lead them to a place where they put their trust in Christ. We call that outreach. It's part of this good, uh, great commission to go into all the world and make disciples. This time of year, though, I think provides some unique opportunities for us to be talking about Jesus because this is one of the two main times of the year that the whole world seems to be talking about Jesus. And I love that about the holidays, that the whole world, just for a little bit of time, is talking about Jesus. I mean, they're not going to get all of it right, and they're going to be distracted by the shopping and everything else, but this is the time of year where we're able to speak up, and I think we have some unique opportunities. Now, why does this matter? Because I'm convinced that most people know of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. At least that's been my experience in talking with people. Most people know the Christmas story, or they know of the Christmas story, but they don't know Christ of the Christmas story. They have not entered into a relationship with him, and why does this matter? Well, it is the key to eternal life. It's how people get right with God. They've got to put their trust in Jesus Christ to be their savior. There's a response that's required on our part. It's not just a Christmas story, but we're called upon to put our trust in Jesus Christ. And then when we've done that, our heartbeat should be for those that maybe haven't yet heard. In John chapter 3, Jesus was talking with one of the religious leaders of his day. The most famous verse in the Bible is probably verse 16. I'd like to read 16 and 17. We read, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, delivered from the penalty of their sin through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Whoever puts their trust in Jesus is not going to be condemned for their sin. In some ways, if we just had this one verse, John 3, 16, that's all we'd have to tell people God so loved the world or loved the world in this way that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish. You won't suffer eternal ruin. Whoever puts their trust in Jesus. Paul put it this way in Romans 8, 1. He said, There's therefore no condemnation now exists for those who are in Christ Jesus. You won't be condemned for your sin. You will not be condemned for your sin. Why does this work? It's because Jesus was condemned for you. I mean, what if you went to a court trial and you were told you had this amazing, massive fine that you, oh, you owe a half a million dollars, but you've got about 10,000 in the bank. There's nothing you could do to pay off that half a million dollar loan, but what if someone could? What if they could write the check? What if that could be submitted on your behalf in the courtroom? What if the judge could say then, you, you were guilty, but now I declare you not guilty. Your debt has been paid in full. That's what, that's what Jesus came to do. And we want people to know about this. In John 3, 36, we read, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. 
But the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. We want to be helping people see this and understand it's through Jesus alone. And this time of year, people are talking about Jesus and there are unique opportunities. Several years ago, my, our family lived in the North Hills part of Morgantown, not far from either of the two big hospitals. And we had a neighbor behind us that was from Pakistan. And the neighbor, it was a young couple with two kids and grandma was living with them too. Well, one day around Christmas time, we decided to take them through the, the Ogilvy Lights near Wheeling. If you've never seen that, I encourage you to check it out. But it's just a beautiful drive through the lights in the park. And this family was thrilled to want to go with us. And so the, their two kids and the, the couple and Karen and I, just the, the six of us, went in our little minivan we had at the time and drove through the park and we looked at the lights. Toward the end of the display, probably the very last thing, it was a little nativity scene. I think it was made out of like pressed wood. It wasn't very fancy. It was a painted nativity scene, if I remember correctly. It didn't have anything special about it. I mean, Jesus is special, you, you know, but there's Mary and, and Joseph and Jesus. You know, I don't think there were any um, sheep or animals in it, no, no magi, no shepherds, just them, one spotlight. It wasn't very impressive, so as we got to that particular display, I, I didn't really slow down much, but that was the one that caught this family's attention. The dad said, who are they? And I said, who? He said, that, that couple with the baby that we just passed, are they somebody important? <laughs> yes, they're important. They never heard the story. I began to explain it, how we believe God sent his son into this world, that, that Jesus was the son of God, but also God in the flesh. He took on flesh and blood. He lived a completely sinless life, but he ended up on a cross. He ended up being arrested and nailed to a, a wooden cross and crucified, the most painful death of its day. It doesn't make sense why that would happen, except that we believe that he, was, he wasn't dying for anything he did wrong. He was dying for you and for me. He's paying the price on the cross for your sin and for my sin. That's what we believe. And if we put our trust in Jesus Christ who defeated death when he rose again, we put our faith in him, we will have eternal life. They had never heard the story. Now, I think in our country, most people know the story. But again, most that I've talked to have not entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm convinced again he's the only way. Paul put it this way in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to people and we must be saved by that name. We must be delivered from the penalty of our sin through the name of Jesus Christ. Some of you here today, that's the step you need to take from my perspective is put your trust in Jesus to be your savior. But once you've done that, our heart is oftentimes, I care for you and I care for you and I want other people to know. Now some are bothered by this idea that we would go and try to tell other people about Jesus, that we would try to spread our faith, that we would do what some call proselytizing. It's like you shouldn't be doing stuff like that. Just let people be where they are. Although I found these days, and maybe it's a little harsh, but I, it seems to me that you can proselytize about just about anything these days except Jesus. 
But it's not about proselytizing. It's about sharing our relationship with Christ, with another person. It's about just planting seeds about the fact God loved the world and it requires a response on our part and we do think he's the only way. If you believe that, then it's hard to be completely quiet about it. Now, maybe you don't believe that, but I'm, I'm suggesting that's taught throughout the pages of the Bible that there's one way we get right with God. As hard as that is to grasp, understand, that's kind of life. There are a lot of things like that. You know, lots of things are like that. I used to work at a bank in town here. I was a supervisor of a drive-up facility. I also serviced the, all the ATM machines around town related to that bank. I had keys. I had lots of keys. At least 30 keys in a ring. I had keys to the bank branches. I had keys to the actual room where the vault was. I had keys to the safes. Little keys that go right into the safes. I had all these keys. Do you know why I had 30 keys? Because they're not interchangeable. You can't just pick this one and say, this one should open the door. I read this one. I like this one. All the keys should open the doors. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I think the thought, though, of sharing our faith with other people is kind of a difficult thing for many of us. And so I want to look at a, sh a story briefly here this morning and draw a few lessons from the story. It's found in John chapter 1. John the Baptist was a prophet. He was given the responsibility of preparing the world for Jesus, basically. So he preached to the people. He was preparing their hearts to be ready to receive the Messiah. He knew the Messiah was coming, and that was Jesus. Our story begins in John chapter 1 and verse 35. It says, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and follow Jesus. When Jesus turned around and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. I want to make three observations about this story. Now, actually, we're going to look at three little pieces of the story, but they all have the same applications. First one is this. <clears throat> I think our responsibility is just to point people to Jesus. Just to point people to Jesus, to, to point people to what we've experienced. Sometimes it's our story of how we found faith in Christ. Sometimes it's just, just planting a seed in someone's heart about the fact that Jesus makes the difference in your life. Sometimes it's just simply a matter of when someone asks you, what, why are you so joyful that you're ready to say, well, it's my faith my faith in Christ, but our responsibility is just to point people to Jesus. We cannot save anyone. And it's encouraging to me because I, it takes off the pressure, like it's not my job to prove it even. It's not my job. I'm just going to lay it out there. Okay, this is what the Bible says. This is what we read. This is what Jesus said. This is, these are the, the words. You can decide what to do with it yourself. But all we're doing is pointing people to Jesus. John the Baptist, all he did was said, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world, he said in another place. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which gets me to my second point. The message doesn't have to be complicated. That statement by John the Baptist said it all, almost. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The two disciples that were John's disciples that 
heard John the Baptist say this and left John and went after Jesus, they knew exactly what John the Baptist was saying. This was a reference that they were familiar with. The Jews of Jesus' day and before were used to sacrificing animals on an altar. Especially once a year on the Day of Atonement, they would come and bring a perfect lamb or goat, a beautiful animal, nothing wrong with it. And they would confess their sins over that animal. It's like they'd put their hands on it and they'd acknowledge, I've sinned against you, God. And then they'd kill it. Frankly, the wrong person died, right? It's your sin, animals dying. That's not fair, it's just not fair. No, none of this is, it's not about, it's not about fair. What, but but the, the, the animal is dying in the place of the one offering it. The innocent was paying the price for the guilty so that the one could walk away with life. That's what Jesus is. And so all of a sudden John says, the Lamb of God. There he is. I think they understood. I don't know if they, they didn't know about the cross yet, but they knew this was the one through whom we find forgiveness of sins. Of course, Jesus knew it was gonna end on the cross. He was gonna pay the price for our sin, but the message is not complicated. And the final application is that uh, we can trust Jesus with the results. Again, I don't think it's our job to twist anyone's arms. If I'm sharing Christ with somebody and they're not interested, I just, I'm done. I might turn around, what do you believe? I, I feel no... I don't, I don't have to. You know, the Spirit of God works in people's hearts. They confirm whether things are true or not. I've found that sometimes even when I'm not as good a Christian as I could be, the Spirit's still working in the person's heart and brings them to faith in Christ. I say that because I'm reminded of someone I worked with that I did not like. I can only think of one person in my whole life that I've worked with that I did not like. And I didn't, I don't know, I didn't like the guy, but I, I was an honest worker, and I, I was trying to live out my faith. I was memorizing verses on the job. Everyone knew I was a Christian, but I didn't like the guy. And then one day he came to me, a month after we had a little discussion about Jesus, and he said, my, my uh, brother got killed today, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and I want you to know it's because of you. And I thought, no, it's in spite of me. <laughs> it's in spite of me. I don't know what, I don't even know what he meant, except that there was just enough of it. We're the light of the world, and I think sometimes even when we're not doing what we should be doing, God can work through us. Second part of the story in verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. The other was probably John the, Bapt or John, the author of the gospel. So it's Andrew and John with these two guys. Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock, or in the Greek, Petros, Peter. Now, make again the observation. What's our responsibility? What, what did Andrew do? All he did was he introduced him to Jesus. That's all he did. I think he'd probably met Jesus just the day before. He didn't have a lot of answers. What he said, though, was intriguing. I met, I met the, the anointed one, the Messiah. Boy, that was a bombshell. Peter had been waiting for the Messiah for 2,000 years. I mean, this prophecy of this one who's coming that's going to rule forever and ever. He, he knew about the Messiah and everything else, and, 
Everyone been waiting for thousands of years, and then his brother comes up to him and says the most ridiculous thing. I met the Messiah. I want to introduce you to him. I was like, yeah, yeah, right. Here's the thing, though. It was his brother, and this is what we have to understand, that we are in a position of influence in the people in our world. They, they'll, they'll trust us. And when we say, you know, I, 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 all I know is that Jesus made the difference in my life. That's all I know. Jesus made the difference in my life. People say, well, if you're saying it, at least they're gonna, I'm going to give you the time of day to find out what you mean. Our, sim- our job is simply to point him to Jesus. And you know, often this happens a lot more when we first put our faith in Christ. We're so zealous. I was thinking this past week of a couple friends in my neighborhood, one named Sean that I shared the gospel with, and he prayed to receive Christ the very next day. I get a knock on my door at the house. I'm 15. When I say the message isn't complicated, anyone, I think, could share the message. And the next day, a knock on the door. There was Sean, but so was EJ. EJ was another kid in the neighborhood. I, he was a year or two younger than I was, so I didn't know him real well. But, and Sean said, I was telling my friend about how I became a Christian yesterday, and I just want to make sure I, I got it right. And so I wondered, would you mind explaining to him how a person can know that their sins are forgiven? They can know for sure they're going to heaven. So I shared with EJ, and, and right then and there, the three of us then prayed. And then about a week after that, and I don't know how this happened, but there was a girl named Carolyn. And she found out about this, and she wanted to know how to become a Christian, and I shared the gospel with her. The next day, she knocked on my door. She knocked on my door, and she had with her my next-door neighbor, this girl named Nancy, and said, listen, I, I, I just had to tell Nancy I became a Christian, and I wanted to make sure. This is kind of how this thing works. This is how this story is unfolding, where, where Andrew goes and gets his brother... Peter, and that's what we do. The message wasn't complicated. It was just the message of the Messiah. And again, we trust the results with Jesus. Jesus took over at a certain point. I viewed it a little bit like tag team wrestling, you know, where you've got somebody in the ring and they're wrestling, and then it's time they're getting tired, and so they slap the hand of the person standing outside of the ring, and they come in and finish the job. That's what Jesus does. Jesus saves people. We just lay it out there. Handoff is complete. Third part of the story in verse 43, the next day, he decided to leave for Galilee. That's Jesus. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, there it is again, and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here's a true Israelite, no deceit is in him. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi Nathanael replied, you are the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than this. Then he said to him, I assure you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Once again, responsibility, just point people to Jesus. That's what he did. You just point them to Jesus. Message was not complicated. Although in this case, 
He got a little pushback. Philip got a little pushback from Nathaniel. The Messiah is, is from Nazareth? I mean, it would have been a really humorous. It would have been humorous in, in Bible times. And there was this pushback. A scholar by the name of E.A. Blum explains why Nathaniel was skeptic, skeptical. Nathaniel knew of the poor reputation of Nazareth. Surely the Messiah would come from Jerusalem, Hebron, or some other prominent city, not, as I would add, not this little dive of a town. What's interesting to me, though, is that Philip did not try to prove it. I'm not suggesting here today that we don't make a defense for our faith. And when people ask legitimate questions, I try to answer those questions. But sometimes it's, it's not about answering the questions. Just bringing them to Jesus. I'm just going to share the message. Years ago, I read a story about a guy that, a young guy that put his faith in Jesus Christ. He was telling a friend about it, and the friend began to object. What about those who have never heard, the friend said. And this kid who had just memorized John 3.16 said, I don't know. All I know is God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Yeah, but what about, what about children who die? The guy said, I, I don't know. All I know is God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What about all the wars? What about bad things that happen in the world? I don't know. All I know is God so loved the world. He gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When the two were done talking, the guy said, so all I need to do is believe in the son. He said, yeah, okay. Put his faith in Christ. It's not always about our arguments. Our responsibility is to point him to Jesus. The message doesn't have to be complicated. We trust him with the results. Now, let me mention something here about this part of the story, and then I'll get to the application. But some of you that are familiar with the story, it's odd, this Nathaniel part. Because in verse 47, again, it says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said about him, here's a true Israelite, no deceit is in him. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. Well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than this. Then he said, I assure you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's a weird conversation. Jesus sees the guy, you're a guy in which there's no deceit. There's, there's, there's no deceit in you. You're like the real deal. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? He says, well, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel says, you are the Messiah, the King, the Son of God. And he's just blown away by that. Like, why? And then Jesus said, well, if you're impressed, I said I saw you under the fig tree. You haven't seen anything yet. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's a weird conversation. The backstory, though, is this, I think. Nathaniel was reading or meditating on a story from the Old Testament when he met Jesus in fact, some believe that this was the exact date that the Jewish nation would have been reading the story of the man named Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob was a guy that was known as being a deceiver. And so this Nathaniel climbed under this fig tree when no one was looking. He sat there and he was just praying under there and he was thinking about this story about Jacob and he probably also remembered that Jacob had a dream. And in his dream, there was a ladder that went up to heaven. 
and there were angels coming and going on the ladder. Now, if you imagine, if you were reading the story about Jacob, who was a deceiver, and you read the story of how he had a dream about a ladder going up to heaven, and then all of a sudden you run into this Jesus guy, and he says, you know something, there's no deceit in you. Not like the guy you've been thinking about. There's no deceit in you. And then he ended his comments, you'll see, you will see angels coming and going on the Son of Man. Jesus was claiming there to be the stairway to heaven. <laughs> we need to change the song, I'm just saying. He's the way. Jesus is the ladder that goes up to heaven. That's what Jesus was claiming. You read the story about it, how angels were coming and, and going. I am the ladder. I'm the, I'm the key. I'm what leads up to heaven. That is what we believe. So what do we do with this? Well, let me give you some applications. One is I just encourage you to be ready to share your story. In 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, Peter said, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect. Always respect the person. Be gentle. People may ask you. you be ready. Sometimes in terms of what God done in your life, sometimes it's maybe just the story of how you came to faith in Christ. Could you communicate that with someone? In my case, the story is, is simple. See how short it is. I was five. My dad came into my bedroom, asked my twin brother and me whether or not we knew for sure we were going to heaven. If we died, I said, I don't know. I'd like to know. He went on to say this. You know you've sinned, don't you? I mean, like you've blown it. I'd been spanked enough, I knew. I said, yeah, I know I've sinned. He said, well, that'll keep you out of heaven. Heaven's a perfect place. We're not perfect people. He said, do you know how to bridge the gap? I said, I don't know. He said, well, God sent his son for that reason. Died on the cross for your sin and for mine. He was buried, but he rose again from the dead. The payment God made on our behalf, or Christ made on our behalf, was accepted by his Father. But you have to put your trust in him. And my dad quoted John 3.16. How long did that take? It does not take long. But what if we're ready? Second, look for opportunities to be creative. <clears throat> there are all kinds of opportunities. I used to work for 10 years. I worked in a secular field, and I'd sometimes want to... I just feel like I'd like to share the gospel with someone. Didn't know how to get into it, but if I talked to them on a Monday, this was what I always did. What'd you do this weekend? They'd say, I did this, that, you know. They always flipped the question. They'd say, well, what did you do? I said, well, I cleaned the garage. I did this or that, and I went to church on Sunday. And uh, every time they say, oh, you go to church? Where'd you go to church? And I say, such and such. And I said to them, then I always flip it back around, do you go to church? The answer is yes. I just asked them, what does your church say you need to do in order to get right with God? What does your church teach? And regardless of the answer, I say, well, this is what we believe. And if they say, no, I don't go to church, I'd say, well, have you ever wondered what you need to do to get right with God so that your sins can be forgiven? It's a simple, just a simple approach. Often during the holidays, not always, but often during the holidays, if I know some are there that maybe don't know Jesus, uh, especially around like Thanksgiving, my prayer is the gospel. Simple. Dear God, thank you for another year. Thank you for friends. Thank you for family. Thank you for the food that you've provided because we know it comes from you, but I especially want to thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place and for our sins so that if we'll put our trust in him, we could have the gift of eternal life. Thank you for that. That's the greatest gift of all. In Jesus' name, amen. That was kind of it. 
That's been a similar prayer I prayed at a wrestling rally when my kids were wrestling and we had a dinner there and they knew I was a pastor. Oh, will you say the prayer? Yes, but I'm going to slip in that little part of it. You can give away meaningful books or pamphlets that point to Christ. Be careful about that one. People have given me books before and I wondered, what are you trying to say? Especially if it's a book about getting mentally healthy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding about that. But if, if, if people give you books and you're wondering what is it about, but if you read something that impacted you and it's a spiritual book, don't be afraid to give it to someone or a gospel booklet. I have a friend that found Jesus because he was in a fairground, found a little gospel pamphlet in the water. He took it home, read it that night, and put his trust in Christ. Maybe uh, you could memorize the Romans road. I won't spend time on it, but Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.9 and 10, Romans 10.13. Those verses all lay the road. All have sinned. The penalty is death. God demonstrates his love so that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then, of course, invite people to come to events where the gospel will be shared. And the last application I want to suggest to you is that maybe you want to be thinking in terms of somebody that you care about and their spiritual condition. Why don't you begin praying for them during this time? Pray that God will somehow open a door you know, the first person I prayed that was uh, about was a, a, a student, fellow student, and some minister said, pray for people and, and then share Christ with them. And I, I thought in my heart, I'll never share the gospel with them, but I can pray. They just said, will you pray every day for a month? I said, okay, I begin to pray every day for a month. I don't know what happened about day 20. I'm talking to this guy and suddenly we were talking about Jesus. I don't know, I to this day, I don't know how it happened. I ended up sharing the gospel with them, gave them a gospel book. And I said, no, listen, I want, that was not the agreement. My agreement was just to pray. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Well, I don't know what God did. But there are a lot of steps we can take to at least just move people closer because Jesus is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for, for the fact you sent your son and grateful for the fact that so many people acknowledge the birth of Jesus in this world and yet my heart is heavy by the fact that people know the story, but they don't know the one personally about whom the story is unfolds, Lord. And pray you just give us opportunities in the days ahead to really care about the spiritual welfare of others and to be able to just plant some seeds that could result in eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.